It's the Sunday morning edition of A Few Extra Bucks, PeterPirate.com Nation. We appreciate you logging on. Appreciate you listening. Our podcast is now on iTunes. We're growing. We're getting more and more listeners each week. We really appreciate you. And we'd like to thank our title sponsors, House of Brews on North Del Mabry and Van Dyke and Lutz and Sea Dog Brewing Company in Treasure Island and in Clearwater. Great brews, great food, great service. Check out our title sponsors. Let's check out our producer in Salt Lake City, Utah, the voice of reason, Justin Thomas, up early in Utah. How are you? I'm doing good. But yes, it is very early here. (laughs) (laughs) You're committed, though. Uh, Roy Cummings, our Buccaneer Insider, I want to bring you in by asking you this question to lead things off. You know, impressive, impressive performance by the Bucs in a lot of ways, and we'll break this game down. But Jameis Winston really looked good. But if you're a Bucs fan this morning, do you have mixed feelings because he's looking good, but then you're not going to have him the first three games? Yeah, that is is a bit of a mixed blessing there. I mean, you know, you see the way he played last night on on the verge of exceptional. We'll talk about the one reason it's not exceptional, even though that turns out for him. Um, but no, he's look, he's playing spectacular football right now. The first two weeks of the preseason, the two quarters he's played, uh, he's got a, a much a better than 100 passer rating. Uh, his completion percentage is up around 65, 75 percent. Um, throwing the ball well downfield. Great connection last night with Mike Evans and, and Deshaun Jackson on the deep ball. Smart decisions on the short game. Um, scrambling around the way he always does. This is the Jameis Winston the Bucks expected to see. And it's a carryover, in my opinion, from the first five, or I'm sorry, the last five games of last season after he came back, got that shoulder healthy again, and really kind of found his rhythm. And to me, that's that's nothing but good news. This is a sign of growth. And I know we're gonna when we're gonna talk about it here soon, but I know we have a moment we had a moment last night where it was you know, Jameis being Jameis, and he and he probably should have eaten the ball and, and taken a sack. But you know what? It, it turns into a touchdown. And we've seen that turn into negative points. But early in a game, that's when you take those chances. You know, think of a baseball game. And, and, and I know we might be jumping ahead a little bit. But think of a baseball game. We could do that. It's a podcast. We can do whatever we want. In the, okay, good. In You know, in the second inning, when you think you can leg a, a double into a triple, that's when you try it. When you're down one nothing, and it's the yeah. second inning, and and you know, and, and you think you can leg out a triple, go ahead, give it, give it a shot. If there's only one out or nobody out, uh, go ahead and give that shot. And you know what? That's kind of where they were. They were in early in the second quarter. Uh, you know, not certainly not out of the game in any way. In a strong position to continue to win, he took a shot, and it, and it worked out. So you know, I think this is the Jameis Winston that the Bucks knew they were getting. Yes, you you want to co- you'd love to be able to coach some of that reckless, recklessness out of him. Just not going to happen, man. Just not going to happen. That's it's, that's not who he is. One quarter of play, thirteen of eighteen, two hundred twenty six yards. One quarter of play, the ninety one yard drive, very impressive. Of course, ends with the uh, circus throw to Chris Godwin, eight yards out. And Jameis said afterwards in film, "I'm probably going to get yelled at, but at the end of the day." I just got to learn from these. So he's cognizant of that, which is kind of a, to me, a, a little different Jameis Winston because in the past he would always say, I got to be me. I got to be me. Uh, that's who I am. You know, one thing I will say, and we touched on this in the last podcast, I think a silver lining in all this Jameis Winston mess for the Bucks, he's had to lead from the rear. 
this training camp. He's had to not talk to the media after practices. He's not the number one guy anymore. And you know how competitive this guy is. I think that has really served him well. Mike, I couldn't agree more. I think the good side of what we're seeing right now or what's happened to Jameis Winston, as you said, being pushed back uh, to second string for now, uh, even third string in some cases in practice, it seems. Uh, he's been humbled. I-, I think he's been humbled by this, uh, number one. Uh, number two, I-, I think, and I said this before in our last podcast, I think Jameis Winston has realized finally, and not finally, but he's realized at an early stage in his career, maybe much like Ben Roethlisberger for all we know, um, that this could be taken away from you very quickly. One mistake is all it takes uh, for you to lose everything. And he's got too much to gain. This is what he's fought for all his life, dreamed of all his life. He's now at a point where he's, he's going to get married. He's got a child, uh, a young son, and, and he wants to do right by him. I think Jameis Winston has grown up in a big way from this. We may look back at this 10, 12 years from now, much like that we, we look back at Ben Roethlisberger and say, gee, whatever happened to that guy who was so careless uh, out in public uh, with women uh, so many years ago? Whatever happened to that guy? He doesn't seem to act that way anymore. In fact, we haven't seen him act that way since uh, he almost lost it. We may say the same thing about Jameis Winston because right now I, I see a player who realizes the consequences of his actions and has changed his approach accordingly. It's early, very small sample size, but that's what I believe. I think the roots of that have been planted and are starting to develop. Well, it's interesting you bring up Ben Roethlisberger, where you know coming out of Florida State, Jameis Winston was compared to Roethlisberger, and you see the comparisons. I mean, the size, the way he plays the quarterback position. But <laughs> you see the past of Chris Godwin, and I keep thinking of Brett Favre, because Brett Favre, you know, his whole career he would do that. And it goes back to the first point that you made, it's, you know, risk-reward with Jameis Winston. That's going to be a part of him moving forward. You know, I think a lot of Bucks fans cringe when they saw that pass. And, you know, it's, it's easy to get caught up in the preseason. We talked about that last week, too. But I see so much Brett Favre and Jameis Winston. I don't know if that's ever going to go away. No, I don't think it is. And I think, you know, <clears throat> I mean, eventually I would think he'll make fewer of those uh, plays, which may be unfortunate because when he makes them, man, they're ESPN moments. Yeah. And we love it. We absolutely love it. Yes, we cringe, but we love it. Um, it's it's the thrill of the play. And here's the thing. Uh, you know, I think he has so much faith in his receiving core. That's one of the reasons he does this. I mean, he knew what he had down there. He knew he was throwing it up for grabs. He knew he was going to get uh, potentially throw the ball away and, and, and lose three points at the very least in that situation. But he has, he has so much so much faith in himself, number one. And so much faith in his receiving core, including a guy like Chris Godwin, that he he tries that. I mean, this reminded me of the what I think is the quintessential Jameis Winston play, which was that 52-yard pass to Mike Evans against the Bears at Raymond James Stadium a couple of years yeah, ago. I thought about that too, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that is the quintessential Jameis Winston. The Bucs don't want that to be the quintessential Jameis Winston, but that's him, a guy who never gives up on a play, a guy who never believes a play is over, a guy who believes he can make something out of it no matter what. And then does. And uh, yeah, yes, he got the comparisons to Ben Roethlisberger coming out of college because of size and, uh, you know, throwing mechanics, arm length, arm strength, that kind of thing. Um, But he's a gunslinger. Brett Favre was a gunslinger. So probably the best comparison 
for Jameis Winston is Brett Roethlisberger or or Ben Favre. Take take your pick. <laughs> Good catch there. You know you know it's funny you speak of the receivers, okay? Because this is an amazing stat. You know, looking at the first two preseason games for the Bucks, Bucks quarterbacks found fourteen different receivers in the second preseason game against the Titans, 17 against the Dolphins. And boy, a couple highlights. You mentioned Mike Evans. Great adjustment on his first deep catch. And how about Deshaun Jackson with the deep ball from Jameis Winston? Now, I never want to get carried away in offseason stuff, but do you know him him being in OTAs more, being around Jameis Winston, obviously another year, they look very comfortable together in that deep ball. And that was a great play call as well. Yeah, I agree 100%. And you know what, Mike, we've seen it. You and I have both seen it in practice several times. It's not like this is an anomaly, like, oh, hey, look what they did in the game. No, we've seen this, what, half a dozen times or more in training camp, in workouts. Jameis Winston hitting Deshaun Jackson, hitting him in stride, perfectly thrown pass. It shows me two things. Number one, I think Jameis Winston now, he was like this last year, in training camp too, and then it all fell apart when the season started. So hope that doesn't repeat. But uh, he was very good with the deep ball last year in training camp as well. Um, Has been so far this year. We're seeing it in games. That's good news. But again, I think it's Jameis Winston's a much better deep ball thrower now. And yes, I think the chemistry with Deshaun Jackson is much better. And what's that a result of? My guess is it's a combination. Um, Yes, they've been around together now for a year. Um, They're not strangers anymore. Um, they're very familiar with each other. That's a big part of it. I think the OTAs is a part of it too. Um, Deshaun Jackson was a much more committed player uh, this past off season, and he is now. You know, this past week, Mike, he well, not the past week, but through training camp. Now he was a captain last night. He's addressed the team a couple of times already, right at the start of camp, and then again last week, uh, this past week, just before the game when he was a captain. He is taking on a leadership role. And as Dirk Cutter said early on in in training camp, this is a guy who's got street cred among all the other players, including Mike Evans, uh, who's a better receiver right now. And, you know, he's got street cred. So when a Chris Godwin sees him, uh, other players see him uh, and hear what he has to say, they believe it and they believe in it. And um, I think there's I think we're seeing a different Deshaun Jackson uh, in almost every facet of the game. I think he's working harder. He's uh, conscientious of his role and his importance to the team as a leader. And I think he's taken that and literally running with it and running away from defenders with it. Yeah, those are good points. It's good to see all of that. And, and even after practice, you see Deshaun Jackson, uh, you know, running routes for Ryan Griffin, uh, staying late and uh, you know, speaking to the team, his, his demeanor on the sideline. Everything's different about Deshaun Jackson, and that can only be good for the Bucks. All right, let's talk about the guy who looks to be the starter for the Bucks in the first three games, Ryan Fitzpatrick, not a great night. You know, I never want to get carried away in these preseason games. Ryan Fitzpatrick's been around a long time, but the bottom line, 5 of 13, 46 yards, and no touchdown drives. He said afterwards, you know, I left some throws out there, some stuff I could have done a better job on. But then again, he also referenced he only played a quarter. I didn't have a great rhythm. Uh, what's your take on Ryan Fitzpatrick? Yeah, I agree with all that. Um, he, he looked like he was out of rhythm because there were times when uh, there was a brief period there when he was really sharp on the short passes. Uh, unfortunately, that it all fell apart when they first got into the red zone, uh, which is another issue that we could talk about a little bit. But, um, you know, and he, and he did not connect on the deep ball. So, yeah, some concerns there, but I agree with him. Yeah, it's only a quarter. I think he would find his rhythm because you saw it in flashes last night. You saw it here and there. Um, and he really was off just a little bit. 
I mean, and, and we're talking, you know, inches as opposed to miles, really, uh, on some of those throws. Uh, a, couple, a lot of them were right there almost, you know, if you reach out far enough, uh, O.J. Howard catches that pass, or Ronald He's got to catch that pass, Roy. And, he needed to catch that. He needed to catch that pass. Yeah, exactly. And, and so uh, a little more help from his receivers would have would have uh, probably uh, you know produced a better result. But at the end of the day, not the best effort from Ryan Fitzpatrick. And as I wrote, and you can read this on pewterpirates.com, my uh, my observances from the game last night, uh, observations I should say. It's Roy's rapid reaction. Say that three times. Yeah, rapid Roy's rapid reaction. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I said in it, uh, this is hey, this is why we worry about not having Jameis Winston uh, for the first three games because, uh, and and that's it has nothing to do with how well Jameis Winston played. It's all about how Ryan Fitzpatrick played. Um, but you know what? It, he he did great in the first game. Not so good in this game. I'm still not worried about Ryan Fitzpatrick, but. Uh, this is the reason why there is concern about him having to play these first three games. Because he go, if he goes out and plays a game or two like that last night, if the whole game is like that, they're going to struggle. They're going to have to lead on Chandler Catanzaro, and uh, you know we think we can uh, he'll, he'll bail him out, but we're not sure yet. You know, speaking of Chandler Catanzaro, he was perfect last night, but I don't know if it's just watching these Bucks kickers for a long, long time. None of them were like drilled right down the middle, man. They were they were just kind of a lot of them just. Barely getting through, you know. I, I, that's a good sign for him. I mean, a new football team, and he didn't have a good first preseason game. So I, I guess he—I don't mean to pick on the kid, but you know, I just feel that way with the kickers, Roy. That you know, you want a guy to just let's just get up there and boom it right down the middle. You see guys do it all around the league, but I guess it's baby steps. He was perfect last night. I'm being a little too hard on him. <clears throat> no, you're not. No, you're not. Uh, and here's why: we are conditioned after ten years of—well, I shouldn't say ten years because. Uh, there was a while there when, when the Bucks were, were okay, actually. But in the last three, four years, uh, there's no doubt that uh, the Bucks have struggled the kicker position. They've had trouble finding a guy who can be consistent. And, yeah, so now we're looking – now we're nitpicking. Now we're looking for balls right down the middle. And um, when we don't see them, we start to say, oh, okay, hey, did he, you know, did he just make that or did he just miss that? You know, <laughs> what was it? And, um, you know, because that was close. We don't like that. And, but I thought it was good that, you know, and here's another issue that they had last night with the penalties, but when the 39-yarder that he made had to become a 44-yarder, well, he drilled it, and that was good news. And yeah. I liked on the last one, a little bit longer field goal, he, he, he you know, had a lower trajectory and basically knew the objective. So, look, I, Chandler Catanzaro is a veteran kicker. He knows what he's got to do. I would uh, chalk up some of the narrow makes, as we'll call them, uh, I would chalk that up to still adjusting to a new holder, a new snapper, uh, yeah. and things like that. And I think that'll come. That's what OTAs, practice, you know, training camp, preseason is all about: uh, honing that, uh, you know, that that whole setup and and going through the kick properly. So because if there, and, and you know this, Mike, if there's any hesitation, mentally or physically, uh, in a kicker. Uh, it can all go awry there. Any hesitation whatsoever, you know, that's where what Roberto Aguayo could never get over uh, when he was with the Bucks. Is there was there was hesitation. You know, he missed his first couple of kicks in training camp. Everybody started to wonder what's going on. It got into his head. It never got out, and that hesitation was there. So uh, with Chandler Catanzaro, it's it's all got to be a rhythm, as we talked about with the quarterback. I think he's going to be fine. I really do. Um, he was good last night. Tested in a couple of ways. You know what? At the end of the day. He's passed a couple of big tests. He 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 had a you know he had to had to kick the game winner last week against Miami. 
this week he has to, you know, they wipe off a, a 39-yard field goal off the board because of a penalty, and he comes back and kicks the 44-yarder. Um, I, I think he's doing okay. I think he's doing just fine. You know, you talk about overreaction in the preseason. You just made me think of it. You brought up some great points with Catanzaro. You know, you can look at all kinds of positions. I think the preseason is the most important for rookies and, frankly, for kickers, especially new kickers, because you talk about all those situations, you can't simulate that in practice. You have to have that in games, and that's that's huge for a kicker, especially a guy new on a football team. Yeah, you're right. The, the biggest pressure a kicker gets in training camp, believe it or not, and you know this, Mike, because you're out there, the biggest pressure they get is, we're going to end practice half an hour early if this guy can make this 55-yarder. Yeah. And that's right. it. You know, and, right. and it's, it's like, oh, okay, well, if, what if we don't? Well, actually, they end up they ended 20 minutes earlier and go through one more period. So that's the biggest pressure a kicker gets in training camp. And maybe he's got a coach standing right behind him yelling yelling at him or something. Uh, you know, some silly thing like that. So they, they get their best work in preseason games. It's nothing like it is for a receiver or a defensive tackle or a defensive back. They don't get that kind of opportunity. They can work on their craft. But again, the time where they get uh, actual live snaps and holds and sets uh, is very rare. They get about maybe six a game, six a practice uh, at best. And then and it's nothing like a game like uh, a situation. So uh, the games really matter here. And uh, again, I, I think Chandler Catanzaro is doing fine. Um, I'm not ready to say, you know, take your hand off the panic button yet, but uh I don't think it needs to be poised over there, that's for sure. And by the way, Roberto Aguayo was part of your three and out. I gave a little tease for your three and out segment, which we always end the podcast with. And boy, the other part of that three and out, you're really going to enjoy. So that's something okay. to stick around for on the podcast. All right, you know what? Before we go to the defensive side of the football, let's talk about the red zone. If Jameis Winston doesn't throw the circus play to Chris Godwin, you know, Fitzpatrick and Winston leave with only one touchdown drive. Uh, and, and a lot of the, you know, is, is that a concern for you? It is because because it was such a big problem last year. Uh, as I wrote in my rapid reactions last night for PeterPirates.com, um, and by the way, if you haven't read it, go read it. It's good stuff, man. I look back at it and I say, wow, I guess I know what I'm talking about. Anyway. I'm going to call it R-Cube. <laughs> R-Cube, baby. Yeah. That's what it's all about. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, no, you know, the thing that bothered me was, okay, last year, 49.1% in the red zone. 24th in the league, not good. The Buccaneers' uh, objective is to get at least 55, if possibly 60%. Now, only about five or six teams do that every year. That's tough to do. But at the end of the day, the problem is usually one of two things. Obviously, execution on the play and penalties. And that was the problem last night. Bad. Bad. Uh, You cannot have penalties inside the red zone. If if you get shut down because – you know, the running play didn't work on second and 10 as it did last night. And you have a bad throw from Ryan Fitzpatrick on first down as you did last night. And then, you know, pass it just isn't, wasn't quite, uh, you know, brought in the way it should be on third down last night. Okay, that happens. And you kick the field goal. But the, but the penalties, that's what you can't accept. The execution, you can, you can correct. And the penalties, you can correct too. But the penalties, you just you just can't have it. You just can't have it. And Especially there. Yeah, so uh, a little bit concerned about that because again, if you take away, let's say, let's say Winston's, you know, toss up last night uh, doesn't end up in Chris Godwin's hands. It, it, let's say it, it falls short or uh, gets knocked down or intercepted. Okay, well now they they've wasted their first three red zone opportunities and they are behind probably on the scoreboard. And because you know that game was the catapult or that game that play was the catapult. Once that play happened, Bucks game, it was over and. Uh, 
And that's good because they put a team away, not a bad football team, although they didn't see much of their first teamers last night. But at the end of the day, yeah, red zone is a concern because uh, this is a a replay last night of what we saw saw all of last year. And there's just too much talent on this team to to let that happen. Actually, one more offensive question. All right, Justin Watson, the 21-yard catch, you know, solid catch. Jameis made a great throw, though, found the right guy. Boy, the uh, <laughs> after you have Mike Evans, Deshaun Jackson, Chris Godwin, Adam Humphreys, boy, those extra receivers, that's one of the biggest uh, – those are the biggest battles in camp. And that really, to me, shows you two things, Roy. It shows you how talented this roster is because you couldn't say that in past years because there would be a lot of different battles – that shows you how deep this football team is and how the holes aren't as big as they were in past years either. You know what I like about the depth? Two things. Number one, I love that from what we're seeing right now, there is so much depth at the receiver position that when cutdown day comes and then somebody gets hurt, and, it, and it's inevitable, it's, it's, more, it's almost certain to, certain to happen, somebody's going to get hurt, the Bucks won't have to go pick somebody up off the street the way they have the last couple of years and, and try to bring in somebody from another organization and have them quickly learn the system, you know, so that you can catch three or four passes, you know, on a Sunday afternoon in, in a game because they're they're down a body or two. No, they're going to be they're going to have a guy or two on their practice squad. Number one, they're going to have another guy on on uh, you know rapid recall, so to speak. Uh, they're going to have him on speed dial, and they're going to be able to bring in a guy like a Watson and and and. and you know, if he doesn't make the team, he probably won't. Um, but they're going to be able to bring in a guy like that or Bobo Wilson and say, uh, hey, you know, now we need you to step in and play for us. And they're going to know the system anyway. And that's right. what's great. And that's very important because that's what the Bucks didn't have. And the other thing I like about it is the guys who don't make the team. Uh, and, and it's hard to know what's, you know, how the Bucks are going to play this. But there might just be a little bit of a wink and a nod to some of the guys who – don't get signed to the practice squad um, that have been in camp. Um, there might just be a wink and a nod saying, hey, do me a favor. If you get a call from the Titans or, or the Jaguars or, or Seattle, don't answer it just yet. If you're sitting out there and you're, and you're a free agent, because we're, we've, got, we've, got, we've got some work for you to do. We've got a quarterback who needs receivers to work with, professional level receivers. So we want you to work with James Winston. We're going to pay you a little bit of money here. And I think they, you know, they can do that. They can certainly do that. They could somehow sign sign some of these guys to some kind of a services contract and pay them to help out Jameis Winston, and then uh, you know keep them around. So I mean, those those kind of wink and nod agreements happen all the time. You know, where they say, hey, don't don't go anywhere. Uh, we've got plans for you here, uh, and you know the system. You're going to be better off here than you are somewhere else. And if the guys agree. Uh, they might be able to help out Jameis Winston a little bit while he works out by himself for those three weeks. And that's going to be important. Yeah, no doubt. A lot of winks, a lot of nods in mid to late August, especially late, late August yeah. around the NFL. Okay, let's jump to the uh, defensive side of the ball where I think we have to toot our own horn a little bit. We've already touted uh, Roy's rapid reaction right after the game. If you're a Bucks fan, uh, you know you, know, you can log on to pewterpirates.com and check out his takes along with our podcasts uh, shortly after the games, if not the next day. We've had some great segments this preseason. We have a lot of one-on-one interviews. Nobody has exclusive one-on-one interviews. We have Got a Minute, which we've had fun with, asking Buccaneer questions, uh, see how many they can answer in a minute. And we also have the defensive star of the game last night. He's been our rookie guy, providing us insight into his rookie diary. How about Mr. MJ Stewart last night? 
you know, he's pressed into action, getting more action in that nickel corner and forces not one but two fumbles. Yeah, how about arguably the the most impressive defensive player uh, of the preseason so far overall because he had a real real good game and got was really busy last week against Miami. And then this week, you know, we saw him, in essence, in my opinion, already reach kind of a, a comfort level uh, with the, the system that he's in, the speed of the play of the NFL, because here's a guy who's coming up and naturally doing what it is he does. One of the things that the Bucks detected when they, they watched him on film is he's just got a natural way of – it's just instinctive for him. He knows how to strip a ball, and he did it twice last night. Yeah. He came up from behind after a couple of missed tackles, and while somebody was else was making the tackle, here he comes from behind on the first one, the first of two forced fumbles, and just punches the ball out from behind. That's instinctive. You can't teach that kind of stuff. I mean, you can try to teach it, but uh, you just got to kind of know how to do it. He does. And then another strip later, um, and, and it turns into a big turnover for the Bucks and a takeaway. That's big stuff, man. This guy is already making plays. I said it in my rapid reaction – I think there's a real good chance that he opens the season as the Bucks nickel corner, um, slot corner, playing that Rondé Barber position uh, because he's just looked so good at it. He, he, right now, he looks like the best player. He's going to continue to get some push from JV and Elliott, who's been good at it before, but right now, holy cow, he looks good. Yeah, I'll give Jenna Lane credit. She reported last night that uh, the preliminary diagnosis for MJ, who was hurt at the end of the game, is just a bone bruise on his heel. He should be fine. And we'll have that rookie diary this week on PeterPyrus.com. So we'll get all his reaction to what happened uh, this week up in Tennessee. I know he told us last week he was so excited just to get on the field for his first NFL game in Miami. I can only imagine how he feels after his second game. And it's good that the injury doesn't appear to be bad. You know, you talk about this draft, Roy. I know Vita Vea. High expectations for him, but but look at the second-round corners. I mean, Carlton Davis already looks like he's going to be a, a contributor, obviously. And then you have MJ Stewart. Looks like Jason Light may have hit on both those guys. So far, um, you're right. No, it's early. Yeah, it is early, but but no, I, I think I think they're looking good. But I would uh, before we go too far with that, though, I would caution fans not to get too, too excited about the play of MJ. And I'm not trying to put a damper or anything, but at the no. end of the day, you know, defensive backs, it's the toughest position to learn outside of left tackle and quarterback in the NFL, especially for a rookie. Remember how Justin Evans played last year? He looked very similar to MJ Stewart now um, throughout the course of the year. And, and I would I would think for a rookie, that's usually about the ceiling, is you, you play at a level where more often than not, you're happy with their play and they flash enough. Um, but but at the end of the day, when you really break it down, I mean, what's the grade? It's probably at best about a B minus, and that's that's probably what you're going to get. Right now, there's no doubt. MJ Stewart's playing grade A level football. He's he's getting A grades in those uh, reviews. I'm sure of it. Um, but uh, you know, to do that consistently over 16 games for a player in his position, it's going to be tough. But hey, this these are all good signs, and I think it's uh, good news that the Bucks are getting what they're getting out of them. All right, before we get to your three and out. I thought the defensive line had a good push last night. There were some, there's some good things to see, but the defense had some breakdowns too. Uh, Marcus Mariota made some plays early, obviously against the Bucks ones. What really stood out about this Buccaneer defense in its second preseason game, especially early on? Didn't tackle very well. I don't think Chris Conti had a very good game. He missed a couple of tackles. Uh, a lot of guys were just kind of sliding off people. You can expect that now again because you just don't. You know, you just don't tackle enough in, in practice. Here, people are going to continue to, you know, see this because they just don't tackle enough in practice. And uh, 
But that was a problem last night. Uh, Tackling was the biggest issue, in my opinion. A couple of guys out of their gaps, assignment-wise, not as sharp as they were against uh, Miami, and Mariota took advantage of that, primarily with short passes. Um, I I think some of them got caught on their heels a little bit. And I'll say this, I didn't see as much push from the from the pass rush as you did, um, maybe later on it got a little bit better. But I'll say this: I'm, you know, I, and I put this in uh, one of my reactions is, you know, is it time to worry yet about the pass rush? One sack now through two games, through what in essence is a full game for the for the for that uh, first team front line. Um, they've played about a half in each of the games so far. One sack to their credit that was Gerald McCoy last week. McCoy had a sack last night, but it got wiped out by a penalty. So. Yeah, that's that's the thing that I was looking at. JPP looked like he beat it, man, on a regular basis. Yeah, but you got to make the plays. And we're not talking. They're not playing the Patriots and the Steelers. I mean, this is the Dolphins and the Titans. I know yeah. the Titans made the playoffs last year. But uh, I, I think, you know, another thing that I want to talk to you about before we get into the final segment is, you know, you could say they had a great week of practice against Tennessee. I know the defensive line, as you mentioned, that's a, that's a great point about not getting the sacks yet. But – Apparently they had a great week up there in Nashville. Not, you know, obviously the game they win and they they did well. Taylor Lewan against Jason Pierre-Paul. Taylor Lewan's obviously one of the best offensive linemen in the NFL, and, and and you know the Bucks held their own against him. But a year ago they looked good against the Jags and they beat the Jags pretty handily in the game up there. And the Jags go on to win the you know play in the AFC Championship game, and, and the Bucks had a Bucks season. So I think you take all this with a grain of salt, don't you? Yeah, I do. Um, yeah, I'm not, again, it's too soon to be worried. It's too soon to, you know, it's too soon to get too excited about the 2-0 record and the way the offense has looked for the most part, the way James Winston has looked. And it's and it's too soon to get wor- be worried about the fact that the pass rush hasn't quite been there on game day and that kind of thing. Um, again, I, I, I always believe uh, you find out what your football team is in the first three games of the regular season. That's when you find out. First quarter of the regular season. That could be scary, Roy. That could be real scary. <laughs> I know, I know. But until then, you don't really know because look, hey, we, you know, we we've seen teams go zero and four and then go, you know, eleven and five. We've seen teams go four and zero in the preseason and, and go two and you know fourteen. It, it, it happens. So the preseason just doesn't mean a darn thing. But again, for this team, winning matters. I think in the preseason, one every once in a blue moon, and literally blue moon. Uh, does does the preseason does winning the preseason matter for a football team? I think the Bucks are in that situation now. I've mentioned it a couple of times. I think they have to develop a winning culture, and I think this is helping. It's growing confidence. Um, they, they, even and the thing about last night, Mike, they won despite red zone problems in the first quarter, penalties galore, especially in the first half. In my opinion, not much of a pass rush from the defense. Defense still was able to finish. They, they 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 did their they did what they had to do. They got the job done and won the game. And a year ago, all these little problems that we were kind of nitpicking on, uh, not much from the running game last night. Uh, Ronald Jones a disappointment again. Uh, all these problems last year, they would have derailed this team and they would have lost thirty five to seven. So, good kudos to the Bucks for bouncing back and winning on a game on a night when they didn't have their best game necessarily in every facet. Good, good stuff, Roy Cummings. All right, it's time for our three and out segment. Three questions for our Bucks Insider, and we are out of another edition of A Few Extra Bucks. You know what? Unlike past weeks since we started this segment, I actually think I know what you're going to say in all three questions. Uh, but I think we have to bring it up because I'm curious a little bit on 
these are hypotheticals, you know, if they could, if they could happen for the Bucks. Okay, we talked about Ryan Fitzpatrick. I know you're not worried, and this has been a challenge for the coaching staff because Jameis Winston is not going to be there in the first three games, and you have three quarterbacks you want to, you know, keep fresh and, and get different kind of looks at. But Ryan Griffin, I thought, you know, once again had a solid performance in a preseason game, led the game-winning drive against the Dolphins in the preseason opener, and it was six of eleven for a touchdown and had 88 passing yards. It's not, uh, you know, his stats aren't, you know, blowing you through the roof there or anything. But, you know, Ryan Griffin, at some point, do you got to give him more meaningful reps? I know the third preseason game is a dress rehearsal. He'll probably get the start in that fourth preseason game, but the other team's not showing anything. Once again, it's garbage time like he's been getting the first two games. My first question, the three and out, is it time to give Ryan Griffin more meaningful reps just so you see what this guy has? Um, I'd like to say yes, but no. A couple of reasons. I know. I agree, though. It's it's a tough thing, but go ahead. It is a tough thing, and here's why. If the Buccaneers were the New England Patriots or the New Orleans Saints or take any other team out there with a healthy veteran quarterback, you, you know exactly what you're going to get from him uh, every time you go out there. Uh, and you know that he's going to be there for you the first three games, um, you could do that. The Buccaneers are not that football team. Um, they've got to get Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, work with the ones because he's still unfamiliar with them. Uh, this is only his second year uh, with, this, with this football team. That's number one. Number two, you, you, don't, you still don't really know what you're getting out of Ryan Fitzpatrick. We saw him play exceptionally well against Miami. Smart decisions, uh, good execution. Last night, smart decisions poor execution. So another sign that he's got to have those reps and maybe even a few more. Um, so no, the opportunity just isn't there for Ryan Griffin, but yes, they've got to get him. You want to see what Ryan Griffin can do against the number one defense with number one players on his side, because everything else says this guy can play. And here's the thing, you know, uh, if the Bucks get into a situation, you really don't want to have to go into a, uh, you know, the second half of a game, against Pittsburgh or Philadelphia or New Orleans because Ryan Fitzpatrick just got knocked out for some reason uh, or just is playing so poorly that you got to make a change and not really know what you're getting. Exactly. It's blind faith, and uh, you don't want to have to do that. But you know what? That's what the Bucs are going are gonna to have to do because they're just not that team. Uh, they're not in that situation. They don't have a Phillip Rivers. You know, they don't have an Alex Smith. They don't have a guy who they know exactly what they're going to get from. Um, and, and so they've, they've got to work Ryan Fitzpatrick and give him the, the snaps and give Jameis the snaps because they got to get him ready too. And, uh, so Ryan Griffin suffers and you just have to hope the team doesn't suffer, uh, at some point in the regular season because they got to turn to him. I just had to throw it out there because I think, you know, we all talked leading into training camp that uh, it may be interesting because Ryan Griffin outplayed Fitzpatrick last camp before getting hurt. But boy, that opening press conference, Dirk Cutter basically said, no. I mean, and I'll, and I'll <laughs> paraphrase him. He said, Fitzpatrick's our guy. But yeah, you mentioned it. If Fitzpatrick, let's just say he gets hurt in the next preseason game and, uh, you know, Jameis comes in, I guess, and relieves him. Let's say Fitzpatrick has a serious injury, knock on wood. Jameis relieves him in that game. You have your starting quarterback in garbage time in the second half, Roy. It's just a weird situation. It is. And you know what? But, but Dirk Cutter, and Dirk Cutter has acknowledged it. He said, yeah, absolutely, I want to get. Uh, Ryan Griffin work against the ones. Uh, I just I just can't do it. Maybe the way to do it is to give him more work with the ones in practice and training camp. Unfortunately, even football practice doesn't work that way. 
Um, it it kind of boggles my mind some sometimes the way uh, NFL football practices are handled. You know, I would think as much work as these guys get, you could give Jameis Winston and Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, a day or two off here just to rest their arms. You know, pitchers don't throw every single day. They do get a break here and there. And, um, you know, a day like today, you know, the Bucks are going to take a break. But a day like today might be, you know, a decent time or, or tomorrow or whatever his next practice. Put Ryan Griffin in there with the ones and, and, and let him work with those ones for, you know, for a practice and just see what happens, you know, just to get so you can get an idea. But again, you don't you usually don't see that with coaches. They don't want to do that for whatever reason. Uh, they don't even want to give up their uh, their number one reps uh, uh, to a guy in a situation like this. So it is what it is. I'm telling you, it's scary, though. Ryan Griffin, fifth year in the league, but is never taking a snap snap in a regular season game, not even a kneel down. So that's kind of the situation for the Bucs at quarterback right now. Okay, our second question in our three and out. Uh, Todd Munkin, oh, by the way, Roy, 2-0 and is a play caller for the Bucks. Hasn't lost a game. I know it's the preseason. I know we overreact, but on podcasts we can do it. Uh, is it time the Bucs just stick with this formula, keep Todd Munkin in there, and uh, let Dirk Cutter – uh, you know, do his thing like he's done the first two preseason games as they move into the regular season? If they were to decide to do that right now, I wouldn't have an argument with it because, again, it has worked out very well. Um, it's it's all a matter of, uh, uh, you know, how does Dirk Cutter feel about it? He, I, I got to think at this point he's thinking about the possibility, but, you know, he also doesn't want to give up that control when it really matters. This is kind of a test to see, you know, how it, how it goes. But, you know, the other thing is, they're working from a script, and and this is something a lot of fans don't know or don't realize about uh, play calling. Part of the job of a co- of a coach and offensive coordinator and, and everybody <clears throat> throughout the week, excuse me, <clears throat> is that you you spend the week developing a script of plays. The first you know fifteen twenty plays for the offense every week are scripted. You know exactly what you're going to run, and there is no play calling. You're you're going by the script. And the other thing is the situations are always there. You know, everybody sees those multicolored cards, those laminated cards that sometimes are giant sheets. Um, they look like, like posters that the, that the coaches have. That's their play call sheet. And what those, every, all those little colors are, are second down and, you know, second down and 10 from our own 20 to 30. Uh, third and two from the opponent's 40-yard line. Uh, that's what those situations are. And there's about three or four plays in each of those little boxes that they choose from. And there's usually an asterisk by one of those plays or something like that, uh, or you know just from your, your experience that, okay, this is the play that my quarterback likes the most, but this is the play I like the most. But, you know, here's the play that we run best. Um, and that's where the decision-making comes. So it's not that complicated. It really isn't. Um, it's not like, uh, you know, all of a sudden, uh, you know, you've got one guy uh, picking from a menu of plays that's different than a, another menu of plays. The menu, menu of plays is all the same, and the options are not that great. You know, it's not like you got, you know, 82 things on, on, on the board there. You've got about three or four. It's kind of like going to Chick-fil-A. You know what you're getting. And so, you know. Uh, hey, but you can't have Chick-fil-A on Sunday. Remember that. So, you know, it's, it's pretty simple. So, uh, but again. If they decided that Todd Munkin was going to be the guy, okay, I'm fine. Uh, let's see how it works in the, in the regular season. I guess it'll work just fine. But I don't think if they went back to uh, Dirk Cutter, it would be any different. Because, again, this situ- what's made the Bucks successful for two weeks, Mike? Execution. Right. 
Well, they won nine games with Dirk calling the plays two years ago, too. So yeah. Bucks fans need to keep that in mind. And, but I will say this, though. Todd Munkin calling the plays, I think if you and I and Justin were on the roster, he'd find a way to get us the ball with all the guys catching footballs. <laughs> the last couple of weeks has been pretty impressive. Yeah. All right, this is what I've been looking forward to. We've been on for 40 minutes now, our final three and out. And who do you think is more heartbroken? Our last question here. If you go to the Bachelorette, and Roy Cummings, a huge Bachelor, Bachelorette fan, right. and I had to do my research, who was more heartbroken? Blake, as he was jilted by Becca in favor of Garrett, or the Bucks watching Roberto Aguayo <laughs> go 6 for 6 in San Diego, and he's probably going to be the starting kicker? Who's more heartbroken, Blake or the Bucks? Now, there's no question it's Blake. Because... <laughs> <laughs> now, now, I'll tell you what. Uh, right now, Jason Light is probably saying, "Where, where the heck was that when when I had yeah. you, kid?" Um, yeah. But, uh, but you know, what? yeah, my big spot on my resume, you could have made me look like a hero, no, like look, you know. Look, I, I agree with the move. Yeah, he must be. I must drive him crazy. He has to. And, and look, I didn't. I didn't watch The Bachelor and Bachelorette from the beginning, so I, I missed the first. Oh, really? No, no. It was. It, no, I, I wasn't. I wasn't. I didn't watch it early on. But by the way, I, I was talking to my wife last night about The Bachelorette and The Bachelor. Um, you know, I, we can discuss another reason why people love it in our next podcast. Uh, in fact, that's a good tease. But here's the thing. Okay. Uh, yeah, I've never, I don't, I'm not sure I've ever seen anyone as heartbroken. And I've seen some jilted and, and some people, you know, like Becca, uh, get picked and then, you know, find out she's not the one. Um, I'm not sure. Yeah, I didn't have the full history on Becca, but I appreciate that. Yeah. I'm not sure I've seen anyone as heartbroken as Blake. But right now, Jason Light's got to be saying, Told you. See? Told you. Uh, we just, you know, fans in Tampa just didn't have enough uh, uh, patience. He would have been fine. We, all we had to do is hold on to him. But, you know, I, I think it's good that, uh, good, good for Roberto Aguayo. Yeah. The longest one is 39 yards of the six field goals. But you know what? We knew the kid had it in him. And it's not like some of these draft picks where, you know, they just go, they just go and you never see him again. So the fact that he, has resurfaced, I think, uh, yeah, you're right. Jason Light has to be kind of, what the heck's going on? Why couldn't he do that here? But also, maybe a little, a little, a little, I told you so too. Well, listen, my friend, we got it all in. I can't wait to talk more Bachelor next week. That's going to be even more exciting. If you're listening, uh, boy, you got you to gotta be excited about that. You know, Roy Cummings just continues to surprise me. It's unbelievable. I've known you for many, many years, and each podcast, I learn more about you. But, uh, you know, great stuff. I, I love the breakdown. So many areas. Uh, we're, we're lucky to have you, and I, and I appreciate it. Well, I love being a part of it. I appreciate that. I apologize for some of the coughs in between. I've been fighting fighting a cold all week, so you're a warrior. Yeah, something like that. But uh, thanks, man. Another good one, I think. Yeah, I felt good about that one. Uh, Voice of reason, Justin Thomas. Before we uh, say goodbye, uh, any parting shots here? No, no. I thought it was a good one. Wow. Okay. Well, Voice of Reason approves. Uh, it's like Stat Boy and PTI. You know, I'm not calling you Stat Boy, but when we don't make any mistakes, you <laughs> screw anything up. You know, you feel better. Well, listen. Uh, that's another rendition of a few extra bucks. We uh, really appreciate our title sponsors: House of Brews, Northdale Mabry and Van Dyke and Lutz, Sea Dog Brewing Company. Their locations in Clearwater and on the beach in Treasure Island. I am Mike Neighbors. It's fun to talk real football. Well, almost real anyway. The regular season will be here before we know it, but the big dress rehearsal is coming up as the schedule shifts to Raymond James Stadium. Roy Cummings and I will have a podcast after that game, along with our new segment called An Extra Slice, where we'll break it down video-wise, where on PeterPyrus.com you get the best videos of any Bucks website out there. 
Uh, we appreciate you logging on. Please subscribe. Tell your friends, your family. Uh, it's free. And uh, we appreciate your support. Remember, it's on iTunes as well. Until next time, we appreciate you logging on.